0: In the last episode, we talked through some of your number one biggest songwriting struggles, and we are just going to continue that in this episode. Let's talk about it. Hello, friend. Welcome to another episode of the Songwriter Theory Podcast, another special episode where we are taking the time to go through different answers people gave when I asked the question, what is your biggest pain point, or songwriting struggle. Wanted to go through all of them with all the answers that we got from that survey. So it's a little bit of a different episode. This isn't usually how we do things, uh, but I figured it would be good to address every single one of them if I could. So we're doing that in this episode. And hey, there's a good chance that some of these struggles that for other people are their number one songwriting struggle is gonna be yours as well. So I'm sure there will be helpful stuff in here for you, even if you are not somebody that responded to this survey. Also, be sure to grab my free guide, 20 Different Ways to Start Writing a Song. It's a cheat sheet that will give you, well, 20 different ways to start a song so you can kick writer's block to the curb. Check it out, songwritertheory.com slash free guide. Finishing recording my songs. I've started many projects, but have not gotten many release ready. And the true answer to this is, I don't know that I am qualified <laughs> to give advice on finishing recording songs, because I, while I do not struggle finishing writing songs, I do struggle immensely with finishing recording songs. Now, as somebody who has gotten better at this and I'm on track to have probably a pretty good year at the end of this year, beginning of next year, for actually releasing music uh, for the first time in a while, I will give my advice that is based on how I have gotten better about this. And so one thing is reduce the friction to record. So for me... I say famously, if you've listened for a while, you know this about me. I have tons of songs that I will get to completely recorded, except for vocals. Like legitimately, if I could snap my finger and record, have every vocal recorded that for any song that I have recorded otherwise, I could release probably 30 songs tomorrow. Vocals is what gets in my way. And the reason for that is the friction to record vocals is much higher than the friction to record basically anything else. So um, uh, let's give piano, keyboard, for example. I don't actually, I have a real piano upstairs. I don't mic that. Why? Because micing a piano is a giant pain. These days, virtual instruments sound really great, honestly sound better than real pianos half the time, especially if you don't have a professional real studio. I'd have to keep my piano perfectly in tune, which is a giant pain, costs a lot of money. There's so many reasons that I just use this keyboard. This is the exact keyboard that I use when I'm recording piano parts. The friction to that is like nothing. I'm in the basement. My wife and daughter could be sleeping right now, and I can, well, I, I can even make enough noise to speak to you, and I'm not going to wake them up. My wife, if she's awake, can probably hear me if she's like listening through the air vents. Um, but I could play this keyboard and it's totally silent. I just put my headphones on, I turn the volume down, and I'm just hearing what's getting recorded. And there's no sound at all. It's all via MIDI, right? The friction to do that is nothing. In fact, when I'm done recording this, or, you know, the next one, if I end up recording a few more of these, responding to your biggest issue, um, I might actually do that at like 11 o'clock at night. The friction to doing that is basically nothing. So for you, figure out what is causing friction for recording and try to remove it as much as possible. So go back to vocals, right? Because maybe that's a good example of where I do have friction. So how have I removed it? One is I moved my vocal booth to be really close to my computer. So now I can just click record, step two feet, and then there's my mic right there. What I want to do to reduce the friction even more is to build out my vocal booth in a way that I have a mouse and a screen inside of the vocal booth and I can literally click record and I don't even have to move. The microphone is right here. My computer monitor or mouse is right here. I can just click record, sing, sing a take. If I'm if I knew I screwed up the take, I can immediately pause and I'm not moving at all, right? That reduces the friction. Other things that reduce the friction is like. What we've been doing recently is my wife takes my daughter to go visit my in-laws during the Ohio State Buckeyes game because I am a da- diehard Denver Broncos fan, which has made this a glorious month for me because we have won three straight. We finally beat the Chiefs, and it was glorious, and then we beat the Bills on the road, and it's it's been an amazing month to be a Broncos fan, which I know you don't care because you're this is a songwriting podcast, uh, but I had to say it. So anyway— Um, so, so my wife goes and watched the Ohio state Buckeye game and that's my time to get vocals recorded. So arranging something with family members, if you feel weird about recording vocals at home, right? Maybe you do a lot of rock music where you're kind of screaming and you're singing real loud. It's just awkward to do with other people in the house. If you feel that way, I feel that way. So I I feel you, you know, finding a way to you know coordinate with family members a way to get some time each week just even if it's 2 hours a week to get some some vocal recording done um so just figure out how to reduce the friction like why is it you aren't finishing recording your songs is it the vocals what is it about recording vocals that you're not that you don't finish right for me it's a combination of it's 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 mostly The, I just, and maybe there's something I just need to get over myself, but I just feel really weird about like belting vocals in my basement and disturbing the rest of my house that's here. I I just feel weird about it. And maybe it's something I just need to get over myself. Um, But I feel weird about it. I feel like I can't perform at my best when I, it just doesn't feel right to me. So I get around that by, being intentional about whenever my wife and child are not around, I take that time to record vocals. That has been very helpful for me to get way more vocal recording down in the past three months or so than I had gotten done in the past like three years, probably. Um, so figure out what's the friction point and remove that as much as possible or reduce it. Even if it's something as silly as Having, you know, if if you have a vocal, if you have a recording setup that you have to tear down every time, that's friction, right? That's going to make it so that you just don't want to do it. Actually, and then I'll get off this point, just as something I'm passionate about, because I try to address this for all the things that I do. Uh, I I, I do this for Songwriter Theory. In fact, I'm reworking my studio. You can't see the rework because almost all of it's back there, where I'm changing it again. To reduce the friction, I'm trying to reduce the friction to zero for hitting record and making a video. I hate even just taking, having my camera not already mounted where it needs to be is just enough friction sometimes where I just don't feel like doing it. And then if my mic is out of position, I have to reset up my mic. I have to move my keyboard. I have the desk in the wrong spot. The more little things I have to do before hitting record, the more I'm just not going to do it. But. If my lights are always in the right place, which I've had it that way for a while, and my backdrop is just right there, I can just put it down, super simple, easy. And you know, I, I'm gonna mount my camera stands for my standing up videos and for my sitting down videos on the wall. <laughs> so they never move, they're far away, I don't have to have all these stands everywhere that drive me crazy and get moved. All of that is for the same reason that you're talking about for, or presumably for finishing recording your songs. It's all based on how do I reduce the friction to do the things I want to do and need to do to as close to zero as I can make it, right? If you have a chocolate bar in the middle of your counter, the friction to eating that chocolate bar is zero. If you have the chocolate bar in a safe that automatically only allows you to get into it once a week, or if it's just hidden away, the friction is now huge to to get that chocolate bar. Reduce the friction to the things you wanna do as close to zero as possible. That was a very long answer. So hopefully, hopefully that was helpful. Hi, Joseph. Thanks for your podcasts and videos. They're really high quality. Thank you, sir. I had to look at the name before I said, sir. I want to make sure. Statistically, it's probably a sir because like 90% of the audience is male, but didn't want to get caught uh, make it, making assumptions. They are really high quality. I listened to a few podcasts before finding yours. And without doubt, you have the most practical and realistic approach. Well, thank you. Um, I, I hope that's at least close to true. Um, I, I have so many song ideas and have no problem writing lyrics. Main issue is how to make the song sound, how to make a groove and write a compelling melody. I'm inexperienced. So I tend to make a chord change. Every bar I play acoustic guitar, um, and just sing something that sounds like it fits the chord sequence. Nothing wrong with the chord changing every bar, by the way, Uh, but it is... uh, You don't want to only do that. It's limiting. It's a clunky, awkward process at best, and doesn't result in particularly memorable songs, although I have played live at a few local songwriter showcase events and have had some decent audience response and kind comments afterwards, just looking to work towards a better outcome in my future writing. Okay, I have so many. So the main part there, I think, is I have so many song ideas and have no problem writing lyrics. That's great. That puts you ahead of most people, I think. Um, Main issue is how to make the song sound, how to make a groove and write a compelling melody. I'm inexperienced, so I tend to make a chord change every bar and just sing something that sounds like it fits the chord sequence. All right. Um. So I think the key to this one is try starting with something other than a guitar chord progression or instead of thinking of your guitar chord progression as a chord progression, try to make it into a hook. So try to make your chord progression catchy. Instead of defaulting to that one measure each, find a way to make your chord progression something that also doubles as a hook, where the the rhythm of it is somewhat interesting. Uh, you know the way you're strumming it is is something that has a groove and is is compelling. I personally think the easiest way to accomplish something like this is getting away from starting with a chord progression. I then think once you get good at Coming up with a song engine, like a piano riff or a melody or a bass line or a guitar hook, once you get decent at writing that, then going back to chord progressions, I think you can hookify chord progressions, and it's easier to go back to writing starting with chord progressions again. But I think at first when you start songwriting, it's just a really difficult headspace to get out of. If you're sort of in that like one measure chord thing, I think the easiest way to get out is, is just forcing yourself to start with something other than a chord progression. For the compelling melody part, that's, that's such a huge topic. Um That's such a, that's such a huge topic. I'm trying to think if there's, there's something I can offer uh, there. I So one, one thing, and I know I talk about this a lot, but it's huge for me, don't take for granted what you write your melody with. So even if it's something like record your guitar chord progression and then go to a keyboard or use the guitar again to write a melody, something other than don't take for granted that you write the melody with your voice, but also don't overthink your melody. Because I think sometimes um, sometimes a melody can be something that – like what is a compelling melody can, can – so, it it just depends, right? Sometimes simple melodies are the best and sometimes not simple melodies are the best. it's, It's that whole simple versus complex thing. Anybody who says simple is good is lying. Anybody who says complex is good is lying. It's not true. It depends on what fits. So for writing a compelling melody, the thing I would advise you to do is do what I sometimes call the a cappella test, which is sing your melody a cappella. Don't play the guitar with it. Don't have anything else. And if you like, almost get goosebumps from singing your own song, then certainly you're probably on the right track with your melody being great. But most of the time, it's not going to go that far, right? But when you sing the melody, and then if you take it even farther, I think I call this the theme test, where you, you literally just hum the melody and you don't even sing the lyrics. What you're doing is you're removing the crutch of the chord progression or you know, the bass line or whatever music, and you're removing the crutch of the lyrics, and you're saying, does this melody hold up by itself? It's it's the exact same idea as the the frame test to talk about for lyrics. The idea is. If you imagine or if you literally put your lyrics in a frame and put it on the wall, does it hold up as poetry? The point is no longer can your melody or your chord progression hide the fact, obscure the fact that your lyrics are actually not very good. Because absolutely music can be a crutch where people don't even notice how terrible the lyrics are. That happens all the time. I mean like 95% of pop music these days is the epitome of that. The lyrics are terrible. Most of them are embarrassing. They're just awful. A lot of times, not everything. A lot, a ton. Most people don't even notice. They're too busy thinking, "Oh, what a sick bass line. and "Oh, Dua Lipa a great singer." And look, I, I I like Dua Lipa, right? I'm not hating on Dua Lipa. She's one of my uh, guilty pleasures, as they call them. But like sometimes I, you know, even though I enjoy the song, I'm like, what? that lyric is embarrassingly bad and she didn't even write it right it's somebody else but some of those lyrics are just meaningless nothing just not good um and nobody notices so try to find a way to isolate your melody and then test it best way to isolate your melody is remove the lyrics so hum it or ah or oh it and then don't you know don't play music with it if the melody holds up you know you're good if the melody doesn't hold up, then maybe it's time to reconsider rewriting it. Um, so that doesn't tell you how to write a compelling melody because it's way too big of a question. There's no way to answer that that question, right? There is no one way. Um, but it should help you diagnose whether you have a compelling melody or not so that you can be at peace with the melody you have and just move on. Or alternatively, you can be like, hmm, I think there's something for me to workshop here. Something doesn't feel right. This one's numbered. I'm not good with metaphors. I read that some people, in parentheses, poets, are just born with talent. Two, I don't enter contests because I'm not interested in the prizes. The only exciting prize would be getting a song played somewhere. So I don't know what played somewhere means. If you mean the radio, realistically these days, I mean, calling in and and having people request a song that isn't a you know, having the record company basically force the radio stations to play the same crap. And it, it pr- probably isn't going to happen if you're thinking radio. It, local, then open mics, right? You playing live. And then the best bet is probably getting on Spotify playlists to address the second part. I don't know if the second part was meant to be a question that I actually addressed. But uh, for the for the first one, I read that some people... Poets are just born with talent. I will spare you all the hour-long rant I could go on about this. Me and Chad already did that in our live stream, the first live stream we did together, I believe. But talent is one of those words that is so vastly misused, I think we would all be better off if we just didn't didn't use it at all. Because it's almost always, probably 95% of the times I hear the word talent, it is being... Misused. An example I think of is, I think it's Josh Groban that, forgive me if this story is inaccurate, but I think the story is something like some lady went up to him and said, wow, God blessed you with so much talent. And he got mad about it uh, because in his mind, he worked for it, right? He took lessons for years. He worked at his craft constantly. So to then just attribute it to just some talent that you were blessed with and didn't work for is insulting. Now, while I don't disagree with the lady's basic idea that, like, of course, God blessed him with some talent, sure. Um, but he probably worked really hard and maximized that talent. Talent is a factor, especially if you want to be like the best ever, right? Probably you don't end up becoming Freddie Mercury without a good amount of talent and hard work. You know, you don't end up being Michael Jordan or or Peyton Manning or Tom Brady without some talent as well as incredible work ethic but talent doesn't determine your destiny talent just is an accelerant right if you're more talented you might get better faster at something it's the whole you know i might have started soccer at 5 but because I was just average talent-wise, or maybe even below average, I don't know, somebody who was above average talent-wise might have started at 10. And by 12, they were already better than me, right? Just more talented. Um, but it still requires a lot of hard work. And they probably weren't going to go pro unless they worked way harder than I did and had more talent than I did. So so first of all, the idea that poets are just born with talent, ridiculous. Of course, there's an element of talent when it comes to language. You know, some of us like language more than others. Some of us are maybe more. Um, you know, some of us are going to be more articulate than others. Some are going to have a bigger vocab, but even bigger vocabulary. Even that, you work for that. That's not a talent. You're not just like born with a big vocabulary. You're born. We all started with the same vocabulary. Nothing, right? My daughter is about to be eight months old. Um, and her vocabulary is zero to one words. She does say dad, 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 dad all the time. And it's a little unclear to us. My wife is convinced that she knows what she's saying, which is me. I'm not entirely convinced Uh just because I don't know, I, I always thought the first word would be a momentous thing and it kind of ruins it for me if, if it's like, well, I guess her first word was kind of like a, a month and a half ago when she. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Um, but I love that it is absolutely inevitable, if not happened already, that dad was her first. because she's my little. Anyway, I love my daughter greatly. I will leave it at that. But um, <laughs> anyway, my point is we all started with the same vocabulary, including my daughter. Zero, nothing. So most of poetry is going to be, you work for it, you learn it, you work at it, you do it. The more you do it, the better you become at it. Don't wor- I would say don't even worry about how talented you are. It's not even worth the thought. Because your talent is your talent. You can't help that. That's solidified. If you happen to learn more quickly than somebody else or more slowly than somebody else, is isn't relevant. The best way for you to get better is to work at it. And probably, if you work at it thirty minutes a day, and somebody else works at it once a month for twenty minutes, you're going to be better than that person. Even if today you're not better than that person, you will be. And not that it should be a comparative thing, but don't buy the "oh, some people are just born with talent." Again, I could rant for hours about this. I I, I get. I think I'm going to cut it off there. But the the real answer is don't worry about it and. It's not true. Yes, talent is a factor, but talent doesn't determine your destiny. It just can be an accelerant, or it can, you know, maybe inhibit you a little bit. It can, it can be a downer. You know, if you have no musical talent at all, it's going to be really hard to learn an instrument. That doesn't mean you can't. It's just going to be really hard, right? If you have no talent with words and you don't even really like words, and it, then yeah, it's going to be harder. But like, it still is work. So, you know, maybe you'll have to work harder than the next person. Who cares? Outwork the next person. Earn it anyway. You can do it. Um, so don't worry about the talent. Just go out, get it, and and also don't use talent as an excuse because that's kind of the other side. Some people weaponize talent as like, a, "I'm just more talented than you," which is gross, by the way. Uh, just gross that anybody does that. Anybody who does that don't just like it, unless they're a really close friend or something, like that's not a person you want in your life. Um, Somebody who like weaponizes talent as, a, oh, I'm, I'm just more talented than you are. You, it's also a weird brag, like <laughs> just because like, oh, so you're saying you didn't earn the fact that you're, it's just a weird thing. Uh, but also don't use it as an excuse on the other side, right? Like, oh, I'm just not a good lyricist because I'm not talented. Don't use it as an excuse either, because that's also an excuse. Next one. Does the lyrics tell the story that I want to get across that can be followed throughout the entire song? Is it impactful and does it touch the heart? Man, you guys do not give me easy ones. Um, <laughs> so, man, it's it's hard to break that down into just just a one one thing. I mean, one thing that will help with this is outlining your story and outlining your song or mapping your song, as some people say, before you write it. That's one thing, right? make sure that you can say, okay, my chorus's theme is life is beautiful, right? That's the theme of my song. And then I have three verses. The first verse talks about how life is beautiful and it uses the story of, you know, somebody getting pregnant after struggling to get pregnant, right? Life is beautiful, right? You finally, you finally conceived you know you now have this beautiful life in your hands or in your uh, <laughs> in your uh, uterus um, and and you know, so life is beautiful. and then maybe the the second verse is you know the your baby's first time uh, I don't know seeing seeing uh a dog and she just like looks at the dog in wonder or i don't know the sky or something that you're when you have a newborn right you get to see them experience so many things for the first time whatever it is that fills their eyes with wonder life is beautiful right return to the theme third verse can be you know the day that your daughter gets married and she, thank god she's marrying the the a great guy who's going to respect her and is going to be good to her and take care of her and and you know i can know as a dad that that she's going to be okay being married or she's going to be great and thrive being married to him um, man, I'm going to make myself sad talking about this. She's she, my daughter's not even eight months old, but <laughs> anyway, so life is beautiful, right? So you have the theme and then you can map out in like a more or less a single sentence, you know, conception of child, child seeing thing that causes wonder is second verse. And then third verse is child married. That's maybe a weird three things to pick because there's a small time get jump in the first one and a huge one in the second one. I'm not actually advising this off the top of my head, right? So that's maybe not the best three to pick. But the idea is that having an outline, understanding like, here's my central theme, here's my three pieces of supporting evidence, one in the verse one, one in verse two, and one in the bridge or whatever. That's one thing that will help. And is it impactful and does it touch the heart is, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. <laughs> you you have to determine that uh, for yourself. You can talk to other people. And then I think I just mentioned this, but the frame test, right? You strip away all of the crutches and only your lyrics remain. If you just read your lyrics just as poetry, does it still hold up? If it does, then the answer is that it probably is impactful and touches the heart, right? If it still holds up. Um, so that's that's probably the best answer I can give you without, you know, specifically diving into uh, a song. When I am writing lyrics, I usually come up with a couple of verses that may or may not be useful. But for the love of songwriting, I can't I can't write a chorus, the dang theme of the song. Um When I'm writing lyrics, I usually come up with a couple of verses that may or may not be useful. For the love of songwriting, I can't write a chorus. So that's really quite an interesting one, actually. I feel like the answer is you may be overthinking it. Cause you can't, there's so many ways to get to a chorus, right? And and in this case, it might be that the fact that you've written verses first is actually making the chorus harder because once you have verses the chorus needs to connect to all the verses so to write ver- like if you if you write 3 verses then you have to look at each of the 3 verses and figure out what do they all share in common to be able to figure out what the chorus is about which if it's obvious and clear is fine but in this case where you say a couple of verses that may or may not be useful, which indicates to me that they probably aren't thematically, you know, tight. They're not because you say they may or may not be useful. So maybe you know, one is a verse for a totally different song because it doesn't really fit with the other verse. That sounds like that's your your issue. Uh, so I would say probably start with the chorus, start with the main theme. Like, what's the main theme of the song? What is in one line, you know, what's what's the, the hook line or the title line or the title of the song, right? And then the title of the song usually is going to be your central idea or theme, which then should be the thing fleshed out in your chorus, and then figure out what's a story I could tell in all my different verses that fleshes out this main theme that is in my chorus or what are three pieces of evidence that support my thesis in in my in my course if you want to see it in a more scientific way perhaps um i again without talking individually one on one there's only i have to make assumptions right as to what, what the issue is but it it sounds like a try to come up with like a song title first or the theme first write the chorus first and then do verses forcing yourself not to write verses until you have a chorus is probably the answer also you may be overthinking the chorus um it feels like you have to be overthinking the chorus just just because um i'm not saying i wouldn't say the chorus is the easiest part of the song to write because i'm not that's probably not true and it has a lot of pressure on it i understand that because if the thought the chorus sucks then your song's just kind of screwed it's kind of like melody right if your melody or your chorus are terrible nothing else matters melody is king chorus is king you know it's the reality we can like it or not like it but that's the reality um so i i understand that but you know, when, when I think of the most difficult parts of songs to write for most people, it's usually like the second verse, because you know maybe they said too much in the first verse, or they just really don't know what else to say besides what was in the first verse already, but there's this other verse that they have to write. But the chorus is just the idea, right the, the main idea. So probably there's probably some overthinking going on as well. But again, I try starting with the chorus. Melodies are always big between a limited vocal range and staying near the chords 1 3 or 5 also says major 3 or implied major 3 cuz it's all uppercase but i'm going to assume you mean minor 3 based on the context it seems like major key so i'm going to assume you mean minor 3 but maybe that's not even important my melodies can feel overly similar or unless you're saying the 1 3 or 5 of the chord maybe that's what you mean um so my melodies can feel overly similar. Second, maybe bigger is doing better with extensions, sus, slash, and other chord types, and having those drive melodies, dynamic changes, et cetera. Perhaps expanding the range and length of the chord changes and adding more borrowed chords. All right, there's there's more, but I think we're going to cut it off there to to because the second part seems like it's totally a, a different point. So melodies. Limited vocal range, staying near the chords are the two two main parts. So on the limited vocal range, I would say, A, work with what you got. Just embrace it, right? we, we Embrace what you have. Also, you can work on your vocal range. There's lots of great ways to do it. Chris Leepe is totally my guy when it comes to vocal stuff on YouTube. He doesn't need me at all. He's crushing it, and I am a tiny, tiny fish, and he is... It, he's, I, I mean, he's at the point where like you can talk to a lot of music people and they just know who Chris Lippe is. Dude's incredible. He has amazing stuff out there for making your voice better. I believe he has several videos on growing your vocal range. I can't attest to those videos specifically because I, I'm not sure that I've watched those specifically. How I grew my vocal range uh, was I I'll, I picked a song that scraped the top end of my vocal range. And I would sing it over and over and over again until I got good and confident at singing that note. right, so at first, I think the first song I ever chose what was at the edge of my vocal range was an F. And by the end, I was at tenor high C. So I improved my range by a fifth, give or take. Because some days I can hit higher, you know, it depends, you know, to like my vocal range was probably at its peak when I was singing all the time in college right now, it's like getting back towards it. Cause I'm doing a lot of recording, but I'm not in choirs anymore. So it's not like I sing every day the way I did in high school and college. So it fluctuates right to, to a degree, but uh, a great way to grow your range is for me that worked, right? Just make sure you're not straining yourself or singing incorrectly and don't go like a third above your highest note, right? That you're just not going to hit it. You're going to st- hurt your voice. Pick the edgier vocal range until it's comfortable. Hit it over and over again. Um, so that's how you increase your vocal range. Your vocal range is far from static. Far from static. It, it absolutely can be changed, radically even. Um, but also, while you have the vocal range you have, embrace it. Work with it, right? And then staying near the chords. Now, when you say staying near the chords, I'm not entirely sure what you mean by that. If you mean that almost all of your melody notes are simply notes in the chord, and because you're using basic triads, that's only three notes, right? So if you have a triad of like, you know, C major, uh, there's only three notes in that chord, so if you stay near all the notes in that chord, it stay. Um, I, really, I'm not entirely sure what you mean by that. Just, just because like there's nothing wrong with staying near the notes of the chords. Um, and in fact, you you can't can't is a strong word. A melody will not sound right if it if it doesn't feature notes that are contained within the chord. So if you have a C major chord, which has C, E, and G, if the entire melody on top of that is just like A and B, that probably isn't going to work. Maybe maybe it would work because the B then would just work as an extension of the C major chord and make it a, a, a major seven chord. Sure. But generally speaking, if you have one measure of a C major chord, probably around 50% or more of the melody notes by time will be one of those three notes. Usually your melody does heavily feature the notes in, in your chord. Now you need to use non-chord tones, so you need to get away from it, but there's nothing wrong with staying near the chords, unless I'm misunderstanding what you mean by staying near the chords. Um, maybe you just mean that it feels like the main note you hear in the chord So let's say you're playing a G major chord on the guitar. I would say the main note usually here in a G major chord on the guitar is like the low G or the high G. Like those are the two main notes that stand out because you usually hear the highest note and the lowest note the most. Um, And it feels like you are not only singing a note in a G major chord, but you are singing specifically the G, which is the main note that's standing out within the chord you're playing. And then when you play the C major chord, let's say... You play with an open E in the bass, right? On the on your lowest string, and then you're singing that E. Maybe that's what you mean. Um, in in that case, you know, just use another note where you're making sure that you you don't just always commit to the most obvious note within the chord that stands out. Like when you're playing that guitar chord, work on picking out, you know, play a G major chord and try to pick out all three of the notes, and then those three notes up an octave or down an octave if you have the range for it. Um, But practice like picking out more than just the featured note of a chord. And by featured note, I mean whatever note you immediately hear, which is probably going to be the lowest note of the chord or the highest note of the chord. Uh, Perhaps that's what you mean. In which case, I would handle it like that. I don't think your solve is... Getting crazy with extensions, sus chords, slash chords, and other chord types. Although, I think that that always is helpful. I'm a huge fan of slash chords, sus chords, and add chords. Uh, I'm a huge fan of all of those. Uh, slash chords are super simple, too, and great. Um, so those aren't bad, but I don't think that's your problem. So I, so don't, don't do that as a solution to your problem because it's probably not going to solve your problem. Do that because it will help your chord progressions become more interesting. Third is rhythm work, mostly drums, percussion, and daw to add variance. Right now, I I over-rely on smart drummer options, slight changes to adds in different song parts, a little bit of adding effects. And finally, final mix, mastering, EQ, etc. Though I expect this isn't the point of your content, and I should get it elsewhere. Thanks for the stuff you do focus on. All right. Um, so first for rhythm work. Rhythm work is the thing I am by far most ignorant at when it comes to music. Um I so so if you ever hear a song I do um so for, in the upcoming EP the drums is the only thing I outsourced. Actually the drums and the mixing and mastering will be the only things I outsource. I record everything myself. I do all the guitars, I do all the pianos, I do all the synth stuff, I arrange the strings, I all of that, right? And the strings are VSTs, right? So I'm technically playing it with like this keyboard or something. Um, But the only thing I outsource instrumentally is the drums. So I don't need, I don't program my own drum parts. So I really know basically nothing about that. Um, It's just something that I just, I just would rather get a drummer in here for, you know, two hours, blow through the EP, get some good stuff down. Maybe I'll edit the drums a little bit if I hear something based off of their idea. but. I don't come up with drum parts on my own. It's just not something I've ever found the time or desire to learn. Like, I do kind of want to learn it, but it it takes more time than it's worth. Um, And I kind of have the same attitude towards mixing. Uh, I did learn some mixing from Recording Revolution, which I recommend. Uh, My friend Reagan Ram has some great stuff for mixing and mastering uh, at Orpheus Audio Academy, so check him out as well. So there's great content out there, other people who talk more about the mixing and mastering side. Um, But ultimately, you may find what I found, which is for me, I think learning to record in high quality at home is not hard. And ultimately is helpful, right? It allows me to record in my own time. I can record at midnight. I don't have to book a recording studio, which is super expensive. So that I learned to do myself because it makes sense, saves a lot of money, saves a lot of time, allows me to be more creative, allows me to work whenever, you know, all kinds of crazy hours. Um, But your song and album, EP, whatever, only needs to be mixed once. And a good mixing engineer, by the way, can probably mix your whole album or EP in two to four hours and then master it in another half hour, hour. This stuff does not take long. So what I'm saying is, you don't have to do this. But for me, I think it's worth it because uh, somebody who's really good at mixing and mastering probably would cost me like two grand tops, maybe three grand to professionally mix and master an EP. To me, that's worth it because I don't have to worry about doing it it finally puts it in somebody else's creative hands. The amount of time it would take me to become really good at mixing. I've even taken like mixing classes and stuff in college. It's its not an easy thing to learn, I don't, I don't think. It's, let me correct myself. It's easy to get to serviceable. It's not easy to get to professional. So it's one, of, to me, it's the epitome of easy to learn, hard to master. Uh, so for me personally, I think it's just worth it to drop the money to have somebody else do it. If you're not in a position where you feel the same way, going to something like Recording Revolution or, again, my buddy Reagan at Orpheus Audio Academy are great options to at least learn to be serviceable so you can release a demo that sounds pretty good. And, you know, if you really want to dedicate yourself, you can get really good at it. I'm not saying it's super difficult. Uh, I, I, I just find personally that, it's for me, it's not worth the to- the immense amount of time. I'd rather pre- play pay. Pay a professional because I don't think they're that expensive, considering how good they, they can make it sound. Um, all right, finishing. I have a million ideas. Freaking good ones, too. Yes, I'm editing some of the wording that some of you choose to use. We keep it clean here. I'll get the hook down or a killer riff, and somehow the crap always remains incomplete. I get discouraged, I think, at some point in the process and lose focus. Um, all right, so hundred percent hear that <laughs> that frustration. And first of all, <laughs> I, I find I have a million ideas, freaking good ones too. That's I have so many. I would love to meet the person that that said this just because it's it's such an it, intriguing wording. I can't tell. If it comes from frustration that you feel like you can't make good on the ideas or if you're overvaluing ideas, because I feel like ideas are overrated, right? Everybody has ideas, you know, probably everybody thought of the idea of Amazon and everybody's like, oh, see, it could have been me. Like it couldn't have been you though. Cause like an idea, everybody has ideas. We all have brilliant ideas. The value is making good on the idea, not the idea itself, which is not to say that good ideas don't have value or good ideas don't exist. Just I think sometimes we get a little too enamored with the – we just get a little too enamored with ideas. So I would caution against that. I don't know if that's what's happening here, but you know, in general, try to, for all of us, we shouldn't get too excited and obsessed with ideas. Um, it also is a great recipe to get disappointed in the final product because we think, oh, it's such a brilliant idea, and that puts all this unnecessary pressure on the final product where we're like spending years and years workshopping this one song because we're so convinced it's a great idea. When it's like maybe it is a great idea, but we're not the right person to write a song or we just will never write a great song off of that idea. Or maybe we need to write 10 songs off of that one idea. And until we get to the 10th song we write off of that one idea, the first nine will be crap. Um, so anyway, don't overvalue ideas, but i get the hook down or a killer riff and somehow stuff always remains incomplete. Um, and then get discouraged, which is totally natural. One thing I would tell you to do is try doing some, what I call song sprints. Song sprints is if you create, uh, give yourself a time box time box. If you don't know is just a, I only am giving myself this amount of time. I'm like setting a timer and I have to complete something within this amount of time. I'd recommend an hour. Maybe if you need two hours, that's fine. But literally say to yourself, I'm going to write a song start to finish. You can use an idea that you've already come up with, right? Because that's it's going to be even more difficult if you have to also come up with the idea in the moment. So you can use some ideas from your idea documents or your some of your recordings of musical ideas you have. Um, but from there, force yourself to start and finish a song in an hour. It's a great exercise to get out of your own head. And it there's something about it, too, where – because you wrote the whole song in an hour. Worst case scenario, you did you made something that's total crap, and it was an hour of your life, which is nothing in terms of songwriting, right? An hour is nothing. If you write an hour every single day for songwriting, and that's it, in thirty days you would have thirty different songs. If all of them suck, who cares? One month and you got really nothing to show for it. That's not really that big of a deal. Some people don't even songwrite at all for for a month or for several months, right? You made thirty songs. Maybe they all suck. Maybe you know two of them can be edited into something good. But um, so so I find that it sort of relieves the pressure a little bit, helps us get out of our own heads. Which sounds like it might be a part, part of the problem here. That and like a little too um, too much pressure caused by the the pressure of thinking the idea is super brilliant. I think is a, another trap we can get ourselves into. Because uh, a great idea does not make a great song. Um, and a great song doesn't mean that the idea was great either. You can make a great song out of a pretty benign idea. Um, so, so I guess my advice is really just try writing fast. And that might help get you out of the, the rut. And then don't put too much pressure on the idea. Don't overthink it. Um Or just go, right? Just right. Don't overthink it. Just right. All right. I think this one got really long too, (laughs) and we have way more to go. So hopefully, you all enjoy these very (laughs) hopefully detailed breakdowns of what some of you said. And if you don't, don't worry. Again, we're getting back to the the regular podcast after this. If you haven't already, be sure to grab my free guide, songwritingtheory.com slash free guide, 20 different ways to start writing a song. Thanks so much for listening and or watching, and I'll talk to you in the next one.